Welcome to the Silver Wolf Howl. I am Angela, and today we are chatting to Sia Stradom, the Chief Operating Officer at DML Forensics. Today, Ryan and I are back at the offices of DML Forensics, but this time we are chatting to Sia Stradom, and I've really been looking forward to this interview as well. He is the Chief Operating Officer here, and um, I'm very curious to hear all his stories and more about him. So, hi, Sears. Uh, thank you for joining us today and for allowing us to come back again. Uh, good morning, Angela. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity to be part of your podcast. So, for those who missed our last episode or the ones who just want a recap, could you give us a brief summary of what DML Forensics is about? Oh, sure, Angela. So DML Forensics is a forensics firm uh, which was established by the directors of uh, Dingley, Marshall, Lewin. Um, it's actually a Cape Town-based law firm and uh, they were established in 2008 already. And the directors recognized a, a need for forensic services uh, within the legal environment and decided to establish DML Forensics. So DML Forensics provides clients in the public and private sectors, both locally and internationally, with a cost-effective forensic solution that is tailored to their specific needs. We understand that we are assisting clients during difficult times, so um, you know our experience and our multidisciplinary team ensures that all matters are dealt with, you know, in the appropriate with the appropriate sensitivity, confidentiality, and integrity. Okay, great. So what makes all of those services unique to DML Forensics? Well, for, you know, forensic investigations that we conduct is primarily focused on white-collar crime. So white-collar crime is non-violent crime committed by white-collar workers, such as fraud, theft, and corruption. However, there are a plethora of other crimes, such as bribery, money laundering, embezzlement, counterfeiting, insider trading, espionage, Ponzi schemes, identity theft, and other cyber crimes. Uh, White-collar crime are usually perpetrated by individuals at the corporate level. So due to the sophisticated technology available nowadays, uh, even white-collar crimes committed by an individual may result in tens of millions in losses for, for the victims. So we provide forensic services to our clients to determine you know, the cause and effect of the crimes. Uh, and during our investigation process, we review documents and information, interview key role players and several other investigative processes to obtain evidence to confirm the allegations made, after which we draft a report setting out what we have done and to provide our clients with the results of the investigation. Uh, our services you know, usually result in one of the following, disciplinary action, criminal action, civil action, or combination of those. So during these processes, we provide expert testimony in disciplinary hearings or in, in a court, uh, there are also investigation support services that we provide, such as polygraph testing, handwriting analysis, psychomet psychometric testing, uh, and cyber forensic services. Um, we might talk about that a bit later. 
Another range of services we provide is one of the proactive side of things, um, you know, such as policy development and verification, business and candidate vetting, that's part of the due diligence process, and fraud and corruption risk assessments. So uh, we assist companies to establish the fraud prevention plans and strategies. Uh, linked to that is detection plans as well as response plans. And we also provide fraud and corruption awareness training. Yeah, I can imagine that uh, technology has changed the face of all of these crimes as well. So what is your role at DML Forensics? Well, as a COO, I'm responsible to ensure we have enough work for all our staff. And, uh, you know, I assist with business development. I also oversee the operational activities and is responsible for quality control of the work we do. Uh, but the bulk of my time is spent on conducting uh, specialized forensic investigations. Okay, so then how does your expertise and uh, what you do fit into a case? The work I do is strategically focused uh, to ensure we provide the best service possible for our clients. For this reason, you know, I work closely with the rest of the investigation team in order to guide them so that we can determine who the perpetrators are, what they have done, and to quantify the financial loss to the client. It is also very important to establish what sort of resource we require and to ensure that the team of investigators can deliver, you know, good results. Okay, I understand. So, Sias, tell us a little bit more about you. Uh, What is your background? I started out as an internal auditor uh, before deciding to specialize in forensic investigations. Uh, so I worked for Ernest & Young for many years, uh, as well as a few smaller accounting and forensic firms, until I became a forensic practitioner. Uh, thereafter, I started my own forensic services businesses, well, that was in 2010, and recently I decided to merge with DML Forensics. Okay, so you were in internal auditing. What made you get into this business? I thoroughly enjoyed internal auditing, um, however, you know, needed something more exciting. Many members of my family worked as, you know, police officials, and perhaps that steered me into this direction. Funny enough, the first forensic assignment I went on was terrible. It was in no man's land, and I hated it. Strangely enough, you know, I persisted and discovered the joy of contributing towards uh, the fight against crime. I'm glad the Hamadullahs didn't put you off and that you stuck with it and and that you're still in this industry now. Would you say your journey was more of a sequence of events, you know, that led you to doing the work you do now and where you are now? Or was it more of a typical road that you followed? No, no, I don't think it was a typical road at all. When I decided to go into forensics, uh, it was a new field in the market and there was not even governi- you know, a governing body for forensics in South Africa. So the fact that forensics require a person with you know, an analytical mind, you know, my background of understanding systems, processes, risks and controls gave me an advantage to become a successful uh, forensic investigator. So I'm going to dare to say that you were kind of like the pioneer in in this whole industry, one of the first ones then. So what are some of your more common or typical cases that you deal with now daily? 
Strange enough, the cases that I deal with on a daily basis are not really common or typical at all. You know, each and every case is unique and different, although some of the basics might be the same. The most common cases would be fraud, theft, and misconduct, such as employees stealing from the company in some way or another, or not abiding by the policies and procedures of the company. Um, It also includes procurement fraud and various online scams. Two challenges that you know comes to mind is having a constant flow of work and the slow functioning of our justice system. Due to the fact that crime occurs in an unscheduled manner, it is difficult to plan projects and forecast aid. I always laugh and say, we either have too much work or nothing at all. <laughs> it is not a type of business with regular flow of work. You know, the yeah, it, 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 it goes, you know, quiet sometimes and sometimes it's just plain hectic. So the other challenge, you know, is seeing the results of our efforts. Although we produce reports containing our findings and evidence, criminal matters lodged with the SAPS sometimes take years to finalize. Uh, the SAPS, you know, they have the power to investigate and is required to investigate and refer matters to the National Prosecuting Authority, the NPA. And the NPA has various core business units to assist with conducting investigations and obtaining evidence in cases of fraud and corruption. So these units include, uh, if I recall correctly, Asset Forfeiture Unit, uh, there's the Special uh, special Commercial Crimes Unit, and uh, the Investigating Directorate. That's mainly the three, three divisions. So... In South Africa, the NPA has the sole discretion to decide on whether to prosecute a matter. The NPA will make the decision based on the evidence, the strength of the case, and the nature of the conduct to ultimately decide if it's in the interest of justice to to prosecute. So due to the number of fraud cases in South Africa, you know, the the SAPs and the NPA are currently overwhelmed with cases. Yeah, that's so true. I, you know, I heard from quite a few sources and our own experience with with our business as well. Uh, What do you find most satisfying about your work? To me, is that every day is different and every investigation is different. Although the principles, you know, remain the same, each investigation's circumstances, you know, are different. Um, a case that comes to mind, which was most satisfying over the years, was an investigation into money laundering. <laughs> Maybe I can mention that to you. So money laundering is, you know, this concealment of the origins of a illegally obtained money, typically, you know, by means of transfers involving foreign banks or even a legitimate business. So we were appointed to investigate a company which was providing financial advice and that, you know, they weren't registered with the Financial Service Bureau, the FSB. So uh, soon we realized that this company was part of a larger group and uh, we actually at that time, we utilized uh, I2 Analyst Notebook. I don't know if you're familiar with that. But uh, we captured all the details of all the related companies, you know, and the individuals to determine links between them. That That's what that software does. It's actually really nice. Um, you know, you put all the cell phone numbers in there, the addresses, etc. And then, you know, it just you, it's easy to pick up the links with other individuals and companies. 
So after months of work, we identified that many of these companies obtained funds through various criminal activities and then filtered it through these companies to look as if it was, you know, the companies that was actually making the profits. So at the end, you know, the whole scheme was reported to the FSB and to the SAPS and the perpetrators were fortunately arrested. Um, you know, although it took several years to finalize the criminal proceedings, you know, some of the perpetrators were sentenced to five, 15 years, yeah, was it, 15 years in prison. And, uh, yeah, some of the companies that was involved, you know, they had to pay huge fines. Uh, in general, you know, a person convicted of these offenses can be fined up to 100 million uh, South African rands or, you know, even being sentenced to imprisonment, uh, you know, for up to 30 years. Wow, yikes. Uh, one would think that that would discourage them from <laughs> committing these crimes, but it doesn't seem to at all. So you then have to be involved with or dealing with colorful characters, should I say. So is there an element of danger or risk to you um, in your current position as part of this investigative team? Unfortunately, yes. Um, however, the risk is very low you know, due to the way we conduct our investigations. Uh, so although we deal with non-violent crimes, you know, there's always a possibility for a suspect to become emotionally unstable or even hostile. Uh, other instances exist where we uncover criminal activities and the suspects, you know, threaten us to, you know, in the hope that we'll be despondent. Uh, but in these circumstances, we cover as much as evidence as possible and engage with the SAPS to, to actually further those investigations. I'm curious about your fraud and corruption awareness training service that you offer your DML Forensics. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, fraud and corruption awareness training um, you know, usually takes place at, at more you know, corporate level, especially large companies you know, that's got you know, quite a number of staff. And what we basically do is you know, we develop basically awareness um, material and then we do com campaigns you know going around to say all the depots or all the offices uh, you know just introducing you know fraud and corruption to to the uh, staff members because you know everybody hears about fraud and corruption but they don't always know exactly what it entails um, especially bribery as well you know i mean people sometimes think ah oh, bribery you know that only happens you know in africa somewhere but uh, you know there's many forms of, of bribery and uh, so we basically unpack that for them and just in a nice way you know make them aware of of, of you know all the aspects of fraud corruption as well as bribery I'm so glad I asked that question because my initial thought was, does this really make a difference? I mean, would it really make a difference? And it obviously does. And your explanation kind of answered that question for me. So it's it's great that that training does then affect um, the amounts of this kind of criminal activity that happens. Um, another service that you offer is the transaction monitoring and reporting, uh, detection and reporting of suspicious activity. Could you tell us a little bit more about that one? Yes, so uh, transaction monitoring, you know, that's especially where you've got businesses that, uh, you know, have quite a few transactions. Um, so, I mean, they've got large systems, 
you know, with uh, red flags, and uh, sometimes you have to actually go do an evaluation of, of that system and all the red flags that it produced and all those variance reports. So what we do is we actually go in and, and review those variance reports and study it to see, you know, where, where are the real red flags and wh what type of transaction is out of place. So, you know, we basically detect, you know, any suspicious activity there. And uh, at the end, we produce a report to, to the company or the, the client and say, listen, we suspect that, you know, these are out of the norm. Let's go investigate it further. And then they will decide, you know, whether they want us to, to investigate it. But in many instances, you know, it's especially if you've got large sets of data, um, you know, once you've done that assessment and you get those red flags, it's always an issue because, you know, you, you see it just, you know, easily. Um, and, yeah, so we do those transaction monitoring and then, yeah, we report on it. And, um, let's chat a little bit about your connection with Dingley Marshall Lewin uh, Law Firm. Uh, as mentioned earlier, um, DML Forensics was established by the directors of Dingley Marshall Lewin, a Cape Town-based law firm. Um, this is where we derive our name from. Uh, their areas of expertise are administrative and constitutional law, commercial law, commercial property law, uh, competition law, consumer law, and a range of others. Um, you're welcome to visit their website. It's www.dmllaw.co.za. And uh, ours is www.dmlforensics.co.za. So these two companies support one another, and, you know, as and when needed, as many of the cases we investigate requires legal assistance or their clients, you know, sometimes require forensic assistance. I see Ryan is looking curious. I think he's got a question to ask you as well. See us uh, for our listeners out there. It sounds like this is almost like a scarce skill that you guys have. How can a listener be at school now or someone that is studying law or forensics? How can they get into coming to work for you? Um, what will the requirements be for them to be able to qualify for that? Oh, thanks for that question, Ryan. Um, you know, I think there is definitely different fields that uh, one can go into. Uh, it's not just forensic investigations. Um, so, yeah, you can join, you know, our firm by becoming an accountant, you know, forensic accountant. You can uh, become a lawyer. Uh, you know, that's obviously also part of what we do. You, you can become a um, cybercrime expert, you know, and, and go into, you know, computer uh, type of uh, degrees and, and qualifications. And then obviously if you want to do forensic investigations or, or specialize in that, you know, the, most of the um, tertiary institutions, for example, universities, you know, they have now forensic accounting degrees, so you can go do that. Or you can go to the colleges and, uh, you know, they have modules in uh, forensic investigations. So there's quite a number of things you can do. Um, obviously it depends on, you know, whether we have capacity or an opening for a person. Um, but yeah, I mean, from time to time, we definitely, you know, need people with, with different uh, skill sets. Uh, but in a, you know, with a combination of, you know, being a, analytical minded and, you know, there, there's quite a few other things that, you know, the universities and colleges don't, don't teach you. But that's, you know, why you need to come work with us and, uh, yeah, gain that experience. All of those sound like really interesting career paths to follow. <laughs> really cool. So as we know... 
being investigators, um, it's usually a serious matter, you know, investigations. But um, sometimes you have those stories that are just funny and then you kind of wonder, <laughs> am I doing an investigation or what? Have you had something that you can think of to share with us now that kind of falls into that category? Yeah, right, Angela. You know, in most cases it is serious. However, one investigation was somewhat funny. Um, you know, we were appointed to do an investigation into a Swedes manufacturer based in South America. And our investigation team traveled abroad to interview relevant uh, individuals and obtain the required evidence. And during this process, we did a walkthrough of their facilities, you know, their warehouses and so on, and uh, which was quite interesting, actually, you know, especially to see how they make, make sweets. Um, our <laughs> you know, the warehouses were full of bags of white sugar. And uh, knowing the background of, you know, certain South American countries, you know, first thoughts were that, you know, maybe these bags of sugar, you know, weren't really bags of sugar. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, you know, we were assured it was. So what happened, you know, when we finished the investigation on our return to South Africa, we needed uh, additional suitcases to transport the documentation we obtained. And uh, the company that we, you know, worked for offered us a, a few suitcases and, you know, we gladly accepted it, you know, because we had to rush to, to the airport, actually. And, uh, you know, before takeoff, you know, you, yeah, because it's overseas trips, you know, you, there's some time that you sit in the plane and just wait. And uh, I remember I was, you know, we, our team wasn't sitting in, in, you know, in one row or anything. We were scattered around the, the plane. But I saw this um, uh, person next to me, uh, you know, the ASTS came to him and said, listen, um, sir, you actually need to to go off, you know, the, of the plane. And um, so <laughs> he said, uh, okay, well, you know, I'll just leave my stuff here. And she said, no, 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 take all your stuff with you. And I thought, oh, that's a bit strange. Eventually, you know, I can't remember if he came back, uh, but, you know, I actually, I think I fell asleep and, you know, eventually we we took off. Uh, but the next morning we realized what has happened. They actually asked a couple of people on board. It's almost like they, they took a sample of people to be offloaded and they actually checked their luggage. And uh, then we only we, we realized that uh, two of our staff members were also offloaded and uh, their luggage was, was searched. And then only we realized that, you know, the, the suitcases that we used, you know, we didn't know if it contained any illegal substances. You know, technically, you know, we don't know who packed it. I mean, we shoved the the files and stuff we had in there. But, I mean, there it could have been zips or, you know, areas that, that anything could have, you know, been added to it. And, you know, we didn't know if there was any illegal substances, you know, carried previously in those suitcases. So it was actually quite interesting. But fortunately, all the team members were, were released eventually and uh, we were on our way and yeah, we had quite a big laugh about it uh, the next day. <laughs> I was really wondering where the story was going. <laughs> the white powder sugar and all of that. <laughs> oh, thanks so much for sharing your story and for giving us your time today. Um, I know for, for one that I learned quite a bit and I'm sure Ryan did as well. Um, so thank you for having us here again. Uh, it looks like we're going to have to apply for permanent residency at your office. <laughs> but thank you so much for being as welcoming as ever and um, for your time and uh, letting us chat to you. 
Thank you very much, Angela and Ryan. I mean, you know, we really appreciate talking to you guys. It's always fun. And uh, yeah, we're very passionate about what we do. And uh, yeah, we would love for people to know more about forensics. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.